If your faith in Christ is not leading you to live a lifestyle of devotion to Jesus, then you're in danger. It's a message that America needs to hear today. Praise God. Thank you, everybody, for joining Gospel Saving Church today. We're going to do communion. We do it every Sunday. We have communion together. The Lord said, do this often in remembrance of me. So we remember the Lord and what he did for our sacrifice and what he, how he sacrificed for us on the cross every Sunday by doing this often in remembrance of him. If you guys want to raise your bread, we'll talk about the bread for a moment. We all know we just read it the other night in Bible time. Jesus said, take this bread. He broke the bread and he gave thanks. And he, he gave it to his disciples and he said, Do this often. Remember to me, this is the body. This is my body which is broken for you. This is my body which I'm giving for you for all mankind as a sacrifice. You guys want to take the bread. Do this and remember what Jesus did for you, how his body was broken for you on that cross. Take your bread. And then likewise, he took the cup after supper and he said, Take this cup and drink, for this is the cup of my blood, which is shed for all mankind as the covenant, as a new covenant for all your sins, for the sins of mankind, for the sins of the world. He said, take this cup in remembrance of me. Do this often in remembrance of me. Remember as you take the cup, the blood that was shed on Calvary for your sins. And he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to come to earth. He didn't have to come and get brutally beaten. He didn't have to come and totally get destroyed on the cross for you and me. He did it because he wanted to, because he loved you, because he loves me. So as you take the cup, remember what it cost Jesus Christ to shed that blood, because it cost him dearly, more than anything it could cost you in your life, even if you were to die for your sins, even or even, even if you were to die on, you know, for, for doing something wrong, or even if you were to die a martyr's death, you know, somebody doesn't like you, what you talk about Jesus, and they come and they kill you, and that could happen in this country very soon. Just think it still didn't cost you as much as Jesus because he was perfect. He didn't deserve to die for his sins. We do. We're sinners. Filthy, wretched, rotten sinners. And yet he did that for us, and he didn't deserve to die, and he still did it for us. So remember the blood that was shed for you as you partake of the cup.
partake of your cups. And Lord, we just, Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for doing what you did for us. You didn't have to do that for us, Lord. You didn't have to come to earth and give up the almighty perfect throne and come down and die for a bunch of worthless, filthy sinners like us. You didn't have to. But Lord, we thank you that you did. And I thank you, Lord, that you did. And I thank you that we have an opportunity to enter through the, enter into the holy of holies, Lord God, right into the very throne room of God and sit right at the footstool of the great and mighty King. Thank you so much for what you did for us. Thank you so much for the love that you that you uh, gave for us, Lord, the love that you showed for us, Lord, because we know love is not just a word, Lord. Love is a verb. And you showed your love for us by doing what you did for us, Lord, not just by saying it. You showed it, Lord. And I pray, dear God, that each one of us would reflect on that this week as we go and live our lives, Lord. Are we living a life that shows that we really love you by our actions, not just by the words that come out of our mouths? Lord, we love you and we praise you, dear God that you bless this time, this worship, this, uh, this worship unto you, Lord God, just having the service, Lord, just being here and, and coming and hearing your word and sacrificing our day and, and taking time out of our days to come and, and hear about you and, and listen to your goodness and your truth, Lord. Thank you for everybody that's joining us, Lord, from all over the world, Lord God, that even if they want, Lord God, you just put this on my heart, even if they want, they can even watch this on YouTube or Listen to this on SoundCloud, and they can even get their own communion elements. And they can even have communion, Lord, with us. Lord, it's all right there for them. Everything that you need for your body all over the world, wherever they are, they can do it right here with us if they want to, just listening in. So we just praise you, and we thank you, dear God. Bless this message and bless this service and bless the people listening and maybe not be hearers only, maybe be hearers and doers of your word. I pray, dear God, that this message would really impact all the people that listen, Lord God, all those in the house, all those coming from SoundCloud, all those on YouTube, all those from iTunes, I pray, Lord God, that this message would impact all of them. And I pray, dear God, that you'd teach us all. I love you and we love you, Lord God, and we praise you. Thank you for this ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Praise be to God. Are you guys ready to hear the word of the Lord today? Yes. Amen? Amen. So if you guys in my house, um, I know not everybody from the YouTube if you want, but everybody in the house, if you guys have cell phones, if you could just shut them off or turn them on silent, please, so that our recording is not you know, interrupted and we don't distract those that are around us from hearing the word of the Lord. We're going to start off, and again, I want, as I already prayed, I want to thank you guys for joining us in my home in McKinney, Texas, because that's where we out of that's where our church is out of McKinney Texas and we hold church service here every Sunday starting at 1015 to 1030 so you're more than welcome to join us anytime if you're listening out there and you're in the area or you're near come on down come in, and uh, come into the church and grow the church with us praise God and, and uh, thank you everybody for joining us here in the house um, praise be to God let's read our scripture and then I'll give the uh, title, and we'll get going. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. Verses 46 through 50. If you have a Bible and you 
uh, want to go to it, you can. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get you a Bible. Uh, if you want to read along, you can. Praise be to God. Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. Let's go ahead and read our section of Scripture today and we'll start teaching on it. We study here at the Gospel Saving Church. We study out of the New King James Version Bible. Whichever Bible you have, it may not be the exact same wordage or verbiage, but it's still there. It's be all the same meaning. The Bible says, While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So our title of our message today is called The Truth About Mary. The Truth About Mary. Matthew 12, 46 through 50. We actually finish. We'll finish today teaching on our section of Scripture that uh, finishes out chapter 12. Next week we'll start in chapter 13. So this is the end of Matthew chapter 12. So first I always like to do this. God's put this on my heart as long as I can. I want to paint the scene for you again. So remember we're still in the house that's by the sea. Matthew chapter 40, or 12, 46 and 13, 1. 12, 46, while he's still speaking and talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brother stood outside. So he was now inside. He was in a house. Verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, on the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. So this was a house by the sea. They're still in the house. So he was, he was sitting or standing in a house, talking to the multitudes, and he was teaching them. So did you get that? And if your brain was kind of tilting when you heard that, like mine was when I was reading that, I thought to myself, wait a minute. I don't understand the Lord, Lord. There's something I'm not missing here. I've read this section of Scripture over probably 25 to 50 times. And I've never, the, the, my New King James Bible says, as he was speaking to the multitudes, and he was in a house. Well, how can you have multitudes? We've looked before at scriptural proof, and it's true. When he was by the sea feeding the 5,000 and the 7,000, it said the word multitudes. Oh, well, oh, wait a minute multitudes cannot fit in a house. There's absolutely no way. Um, but multitudes, the word means, you know, we've looked before, thousands. And I'm sure they had some big houses in Jesus' day. But I don't care how big of a house you got. I've never seen thousands of people in a house. So what's up? Certainly there wasn't thousands of people in a house. So what did we come across here? Did we come across a contradiction in the Bible? Did we? Did we finally find one? Eh, I don't think so. Absolutely not. Let's look a little deeper and find out why this is not a contradiction. We got to go to the original Greek word. And the original Greek word for the word multitude is ochlos. And like any word, it has a number of definitions. Well, the very first definition of the word ochlos, which my New King James translators translated as multitudes, means crowd. And we read the types of crowds that it explains below, and there we find our answer. The very first and number one definition of the word crowd 
is a casual collection of people. There's our answer. We get other definitions below, and as they go to people and as they go to multitudes where it's throngs, multitudes flock together, troops of people, and we know that Jesus did have troops and throngs of people around him often. But here, they use the same word multitude. In our English, there's our problem. We have a problem between our Greek to English translation. The same Greek word means the same Greek word. It's ochlos, and that's it. So it's not a contradiction. The Bible still holds true. Praise God. Anytime you ever think you come across a contradiction in the Bible, you're wrong. If you just look a little deeper, I think sometimes God allows that to happen so that as people are looking, they can either throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, oh, well, I guess, um, I guess the Bible's all full of flaws, and then they just throw it out. Or you can actually look deeper, and Jesus said, seek and you shall find. And as I did here, we sook and we found. Um, as always, the context for the word is always found. The definition of the word should always be found in the context of the section of Scripture. And our context here in a house, even though Ochlos means multitude and throngs, it also means a crowd or crowds or a casual collection of people. Multitudes of people could never have fit in a home. It's just impossible. So simply, the New King James translators just translated it wrong. When you look to other versions of the, you know, the English Bible, you have the King James, you have the NIV, you have the NRSB, you have the NASB. They use words like crowd, crowds, people, and they also use multitudes. And it's actually split out kind of even across them. And it probably has to do something a little bit with my culture too, with our Modern, if we're in America, and we're speaking not the King's English, we're speaking American, okay? My, my, my mind thinks of multitudes like thousands of people. Now, somebody in England or somebody somewhere else may not think of multitudes as thousands of people. They just may think of crowds. So I think, personally, if it were me, and I was one of the translators of the New King James Version Bible, I would have just called it as it was. I would have said, as Jesus gathered together, there was a casual collection of people that was sitting around him. But what do I know? And it doesn't even matter. As long as, like I said, we go deeper and we find out what the truth really is, that's what counts. But as I said earlier, there's no real contradictions in the Bible. It always holds true. Um, so let, I want to read Matthew 12, 46 the way I think that it should have been written. While Jesus was still speaking to a casual collection of people, behold. So let's leave it at that, okay? It says the same thing, except for the word multitudes didn't really, I don't think, emulate the kind of amount of people that were around him in the house. So while he was speaking to a casual collection of people in the house that had followed him into the house, there was some background activity going on. Read verse 46 from behold. Verse 46, behold... His mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. So, how do we read this? His mom, Mary, his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, came to the house he was in and they wanted to talk to him. And where they, even though, wait a minute, you say, Pastor Ed, wait a minute. Where do you get those names from? Those, I don't see those names here in this passage. Excuse me, we reference Matthew 13, 55 where it actually talks about, we'll, we'll get to it later, where it speaks about his, the names of his brothers, Mary's sons, and also, you know, he mentions in 
Matthew 13 that he also has sisters as well too. So simple enough, right? Simple enough. We read here, his, brother, his mother and his brother stood outside seeking to speak with him. If we just take what's written in the Bible, just simply, if we just read it exactly the way it's written here, and even in 47, then one said, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. All we can read it as, as his mother and his brothers are standing outside to speak with him. <clears throat> and in fact, there's no other way that we can read it. I don't read any other way that we can read this section of Scripture. Because obviously, according to the Scripture and Matthew chapter 13, and also I believe it's Mark 6, we even get it the names of his brothers, James and Joseph and Judas. And, you know, we get, we get the names of his brothers and we also got that he has sisters. We have Matthew 1, 24, 25. We have the account of Jesus' birth. Okay, it records then Joseph being aroused from sleep because he had just seen the angel. <clears throat> he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. Verse 25. And he did not know her till... She had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, when you hear that, and he did not know her, that would be intercourse, that'd be sexual, you know, being, having sexual intercourse with his wife. He did not know her till Jesus was born. That means that he waited because he, he knew, God had told him through the angel, that child in that woman is mine. So he didn't want to, you know, he didn't want to, you know, degradate. He didn't want to you know, do anything wrong to the, you know, to the Holy Virgin, Mother Mary, you know, because he wanted to wait until she had Jesus. Didn't think it was appropriate to be, you know, having intercourse with her, having relations with her while she was pregnant with God's child. Pretty simple. And by the word till, you could read until, which means afterward, of course, it would lead you to believe that he did. Okay, and then with our other sections of Scripture, Mark 6, Matthew 13, we get the names of Jesus' brothers. We can see that Jesus, they, they got together after Jesus was born and they had a normal relationship as a life and family. Pretty simple. Even the messenger in verse 47, as I looked up earlier, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. Even the messenger realized that these were his mother. This was his mother and his brother. But unfortunately, as simple as this scripture looks, as simple as this scripture seems to be, excuse me, I'm sorry, I apologize for everybody coming here and I listen online. We have had a little sickness and I'm getting over it. God's healed me, but I have to drink a little bit of wonderful mix here that helps me speak a little better. I praise God. Unfortunately, as simple as this seems to be, we have the Catholic Church that doesn't believe so. The Catholic Church has come in and said that Mary actually died a virgin. They believe that the text Matthew 1.25 was translated wrong. They believe that it was supposed to say in the Vulgate, the Latin Vulgate, which was a very ugly translation. By the way, if you look in history, the Latin Vulgate was a very ugly, wasn't, very, wasn't a very clear translation, only until the Greek came along, the Vulgate said that she never knew uh, Joseph. They never knew one another. And so the Catholics claim that Mary and Joseph never 
knew one another and they never had intercourse and they never had other children outside of Jesus and that Mary died a virgin never knowing a man. Catholics claim that these wanting to talk to Christ, there's three, there's three possibilities here that they believe, and we're going to cover them all. Bear with me today. Today's topic is a little bit analytical, but praise God for truth. Okay, Catholics claim that either these were his fellow disciples or followers because of Matthew 12, 50. Jesus said, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, brothers, and sisters. They, they, they believe it's possible that they were his spiritual brethren. They believe that these could have been his relatives or his cousins, like, you know, relatives. Or they believe that these outside wanting to speak to him could have been his adopted children. So what if they are right? I want to play a little devil's advocate for a little bit. What if they are right? Because, you know, we have to find out what truth is. What if Mary did die a virgin? And these people wanted to talk to Jesus were his followers, you know, spiritual disciples, spiritual brothers, or his cousins or nephews, or his adopted brothers. Maybe the messenger in verse 47 could have been telling him that his disciples or relatives were wanting to talk to him, but just said mothers or mother and brothers. What if he just said that, just, you know, to describe them? You know, like I said, concerning his spiritual family, Matthew 12, 50, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother and brother and sister which is actually amazing solace for anybody out there that's listening to me. We can be Jesus Christ's brothers and sisters if we do what he says. If we live the way he told us to live, if we live as he said to live, then we know that we can be his brothers and sisters. That's what I believe that's referring to. But what if we're wrong in that? What if these outside were not his real mother and his real brothers? You know, and disciples, of course, <clears throat> excuse me, disciples, of course, are people that do the will of God. And when this idea of being relatives, if we look at the Greek word for brothers, believe it or not, I'm going to shock you with this. The Greek word for brothers is adolphos, and it's defined as brother. The very first definition, the first definition is brother. When they're born of the same two parents or only of the same father or mother. The second definition, having the same national ancestor belonging to the same people or countrymen, and three, and then we get to brothers because of faith, as Jesus spoke of in 49 and 50. And so the second definition of Adolphos does apply to this, these outside could have, you know, because the King James says brethren, New King James says brothers. So the word Adolphos means blood family, but also relatives of your own nationality, of your people group. And then we get into the spiritualness of it all. So if you believe that Mary was a virgin until her death, and that these in Matthew 12, 47 were either disciples or relatives or adopted brothers, that is a possibility. And you could be right. So we have to consider other biblical texts, including this one, to see if they support that idea, those beliefs, those theories. So who were these people who were outside wanting to speak with Jesus? Were they followers or disciples, spiritual brethren? Were they his relatives or stepbrothers? Or are they his real-life flesh and blood brothers, Mary's children? Which one was it? And was Mary a virgin until she died? Or did she have real children? That's why the message today is titled, The Truth About Mary. So we're going to look at all these. Let's look first 
and see and check out the you know the exp- the uh, the idea behind them being his spiritual brethren or his disciples. Let's look at that one first. We have to start right here in Matthew chapter 12 and let's 47. Then one, which would be we're going to call him the messenger, said to him, "Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you." If these were just spiritual brethren or disciples, why then did the messenger, we'll call him the messenger, why did he come back and say, your mother and your brothers are standing outside? Catholics believe that since Jesus taught in verse 50, again, like I said, that those that do the will of God are his spiritual mothers, brothers and sisters, that the aside could have been his disciples, not his actual mothers and brothers. Let's look at a huge problem with this theory. Jesus taught this concept of those that do the will of God being a spiritual family after the messenger came to him, not before. So think about that. We have this messenger and he goes away. Jesus is teaching and the messenger goes away and he sees who's outside and he comes back and says, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking to speak with you. The problem here is that Jesus only taught this concept after the messenger came back to tell him, your mother and your brothers are outside. He didn't know the concept yet of people that did the will of God being Jesus' spiritual brethren. So how could he have known or even had an idea or think at all that these were Jesus' spiritual brethren? He would have just said, your disciples are outside wanting to talk to you. So you say, Pastor Ed, I got you. What if he didn't know those people that were Jesus' disciples? What if he just simply didn't know? You know, he could have just said, you know, I, I don't know disciple. the word disciple yet. Maybe it was. Maybe the word disciple wasn't even around yet. Maybe the word disciple or the Greek variant of it. I don't, didn't look that one up. Maybe that word wasn't even relative at that point. So, if you want to turn to Matthew 9.14, we're going to look at that possibility. Matthew 9.14. Now, you got to look. The word disciples used here, but you may think, well, wait a minute. It's used. That still doesn't prove anything, but I'm going to explain it as we go. Then the disciples of John, and you can't say that one applies yet because that's Matthew writing, and that could be Matthew writing after the fact, knowing that the word disciple can't count that one. Then the disciples of John... And I add, who didn't even follow Jesus Christ, came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? John's disciples knew who Jesus' disciples were, and they weren't even following Jesus Christ. They were John's disciples. So John's disciples knew who Jesus' disciples were. In Matthew 12, 1 and 2. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry. That one can't count. And began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees, and I add again, Pharisees weren't followers of Christ. Pharisees were against Christ. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And again, I add, the Pharisees were not followers of Christ either, yet they knew the word disciple. 
The word disciple was being used. How come they didn't say there? Why are your brethren doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Because that same word could have applied if we took it toward Jesus' Matthew chapter 12, verses 49 and 50. So let's ask ourselves a good question here, a real deep question. Would the disciples of John and some religious leaders who weren't followers of Christ know who Jesus' disciples were while the messenger who was in the house listening to the teachings of Jesus, sitting underneath the teachings of Jesus, you could say he was following Christ, didn't know who Jesus' disciples were? I absolutely don't even think that that's a possibility. Everybody knew who Jesus' disciples were. Another scripture to consider. Look at Jesus' words here in this section and Matthew's recording of what he said in verse 49. Now Matthew knew this. Verse 49, And Jesus stretched out his hand. This is not Jesus talking now, of course. This is Matthew understanding the idea of what he did. And he, Jesus, stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Again, the messenger wouldn't have known the spiritual brethren because it wasn't taught to them yet, number one. And number two, everybody knew, especially all those that were coming around Jesus, that his people that followed him were called disciples. Matthew shows us that these in the room were Jesus' disciples and not those standing outside. Please understand, if those outside wanting to talk to Jesus Christ were his disciples, then the messenger would have just said, there are some other disciples outside wanting to talk to you, Jesus. But he didn't, did he? He said in verse 47, Look, your mother and your brethren, or brothers, are standing outside seeking to speak with you. So I hope you can clearly see on our first topic, there's no way that these could have been his spiritual brethren because of the way I broke it down. It's very clear. I hope you can see that. You have to take what the Bible says, what the Bible says plainly. Moving forward. So maybe these people outside wanting to speak to Jesus were relatives, like cousins or nephews as such. Maybe they were just his fellow countrymen. You know, after all, the second definition of the word brethren did say relative. So we have to have that. That's a possibility. You know, we had several definitions of the word brethren, and one of them was, you know, relatives of your own country. So let's explore that possibility because the second definition of the word of the brother was relative. Who would have known if Jesus would have been his who would have known if Jesus would have had blood brothers other than his close relatives and people he grew up with or those from Jesus' hometown of Nazareth? So look at what Jesus' people from his own hometown said about him in Mark 6, 1, and I'll, and I'll commentate as we go. Mark 6, 1 through 4. Then he, Jesus, went out from there and came to his own country. And we know by other studies he grew up in Nazareth. So these are the people that he grew up with. He called it his own country. Okay? That'd be like your own hometown that you grew up in. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given him? 
that such mighty works are performed by his hands. Is this not the carpenter? So they, they knew that Jesus was a carpenter. He grew up as a carpenter. He was now a teacher, of course, a teacher of God's word, but he grew up under his father Joseph, a carpenter. But remember that. Is this not the carpenter? Right off the bat, they don't accept him being this Messiah, this Christ. They say, is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary. Okay, we've got no problems with that. Jesus was the son of Mary. And brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country among his own relatives and in his own house. And in case you're wondering, oh, Pastor Ed, we got another word there. We got another relative word. It said relative. Well, ironically, the Greek word for that word relative that came out of Jesus' mouth was signes. And it's defined as, now listen to these definitions, the same English word relative. English and Greek didn't always go so well over. Listen to the definition of, these, of this word signes in Greek, of the same word relative, of the same kin, akin, akin to, related by blood, in a wider sense of the same nation, a fellow countryman. So when Jesus referred to these people that were his relatives of his own country, these are people that grew up next to Jesus every day that he lived, when he was growing up, until he got old enough and he went out on his own and started his ministry, and he considered him their, his relatives. And he said, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives. So that was Jesus' words describing these people that just didn't believe in him. And they claimed and they talked about him, his mother Mary. <clears throat> they didn't mention Joseph. I wonder why. And all his brothers and even his sisters. So, in the next passage, we do get Joseph. Uh, Matthew 13, 53 to 57. It's a parallel passage. And we see Joseph included here. And I'll explain. Matthew 13, 53 to 57. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. When he had come to his own country, there's that when he came to his own country again. Remember, it's a parallel passage. When he came to his own country. This is a place that he grew up. He taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? They were, they were really being scornful toward him. They didn't like how he did all these things. They thought, he's just a regular man like us. How can he do this man get these things? Okay, Is this not the carpenter's son? So I've actually heard it taught, and God just showed me that while I was reading the scripture, just a little side note, just a little side morsel of gold nugget there for you. Is this not the carpenter's son? People have said that Joseph died before Jesus' professional ministry, before his three and a half year ministry. Why would they not have said, is this not the son of that carpenter? Joseph. But they referenced Joseph in a first person as Joseph was alive today. Is this not the carpenter's son? I just think it gets deeper spiritually when you look at why didn't we hear about Joseph after Jesus' person, uh, you know, his professional ministry came? I just think it gets more spiritual because God was his real father and the Bible doesn't record Joseph after he's about 12 or 13. But right here we have it. Is this not the carpenter's 
son. Speaking of him, like he's right here. Is this not Joseph's son, the carpenter's son? If Joseph was dead, he would, they would have said it in a different way. Moving on. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is, this, is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all here with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him, because, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and among in his own house. So again, here Matthew records Jesus as the son of the carpenter. We know that to be Joseph. These close relatives who rejected Jesus put Jesus, Mary, Joseph all together with James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, and called Jesus their brother and claimed that he had sisters among their with him. If, now listen to this. This is what we got we to ask ourselves a big question. If the word in Greek for brother, referring to James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, which is Adolphus, remember, in Matthew 12, 40, 46 and 47, just meant relative, then why would the relatives, Signes, right out of Jesus' mouth, a different word for relatives, he classified them not as his brethren, Adolphus, but as relative Signes, from Jesus' mouth, from his hometown in Matthew 13, differentiate themselves from Jesus, Mary, Joseph, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, and his sisters together. Why would they have done that if they were all just regular relatives like James, Joseph, and all those that they clumped together? The answer is because these relatives, these Signes in Matthew 13, knew that they were a family unit, knew that they were all blood-related, that's why they clumped them all together and not just some other related relatives like themselves. Not to mention the context of this parallel passage, of those parallel passages. Talk about the context. Remember, those relatives rejected Jesus. They were rejecting what he was saying. Is this, is, where does this man get all these things? They were rejecting what he was doing. So I hope you can see that there's no way the word used for brother in Matthew 12, Adolphus, could be translated as relative, Signes, because his relatives from Matthew 13 would have responded differently. The word for brothers is still holding up true to mean Mary's children by birth. So there's only one other aspect to look at. And this one, I already know if you're a Catholic and you're out there listening, I already know what you're thinking, but you don't have an answer for stepbrother. And you're right. We don't have an answer for a stepbrother. Catholics say that James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and sisters were adopted children of Mary and Joseph and not their flesh and blood children. What can we say about this one? Wow, we must be stumped. I guess I just don't have an answer. But we also, they say that you can't Prove it from Scripture that they're not his adopted brothers and sisters. But God showed me this as I took truth on this one because I really prayed about this one hard because I did not have an answer for a long time. You can't prove from Scripture that they are either. You can't prove from the Holy Bible that they are adopted. You have to ask yourself some things. 
God showed me this. Ask yourself this question. Why don't we ever read about Mary and Joseph adopting children? Why don't, ever we, why don't we ever read about it? We sure got a lot of Jesus' life before he was 12. We got their travels and we got all this thing. Why don't we ever read about it? The scripture we just read, now this is another one you got to think about. The scripture we just read recorded at least four brothers that the Bible, I believe, claims that they're his blood brothers and sisters. So the Bible just mentions four brothers and at least two sisters of Jesus. That's a total of six children in total, maybe more. James 1, Joseph 2, Judas 3, and Simon 4. And in Matthew 13, 55, it's spoken of that Jesus has sisters as well. We say, well, Pastor Ed, I only count four plus sisters. That's in what, four or five? No, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. But when you word the, use the word sisters, that's plural. That's at least two. One sister doesn't mean sisters. You have to have two sisters or more to have sisters, the word being used. So think about this. They would have had to adopt six plus children. What? What? Well, you have to think, ask yourself, why would they have done that? Why would they have adopted six plus two or six plus maybe more? Well, who in the world adopts, well, they already have one son, who adopts six plus children when they're already raising one? I can see one, maybe two, maybe even three, but six, seven, eight? Who adopts six children? And especially with the belief, and I know, um, in case you didn't know, Catholics believe in that idea that Joseph died before Jesus' professional ministry. So why in the world would Mary and Joseph had adopted six-plus children in such a short amount of years? A couple I can see, maybe. But absolutely not six-plus. That's absolutely ridiculous. So not only is there no proof of Mary and Joseph adopting children in Scripture, but there is also no intellectual reason why they would have done it either. So I hope you see that there's no way that, G that Mary could have died a virgin. It's just not true. And she and Joseph didn't adopt six plus children. There's absolutely no idea, no reason why in the world they would have wanted to do that. There's just absolutely no reason why they would have. So making there no definitive proof in the Bible to support this theory. But on the other hand, on the other hand, we have ample proof, <clears throat> excuse me, that Mary did have other children, Adolphus, brethren. We do have ample proof. We have verse 47. We have Mark 6. We have Matthew chapter 13. We have ample proof that Jesus had real brothers, flesh and blood brothers that were born of Mary. Excuse me. Now, in case you didn't know, and this is going to lead to an even bigger point. Because you say, well, then why, Pastor Ed? Why would the Catholic Church teach us? I had an older fellow tell me earlier this week that even in catechism when he was a little child, he, he thought Mary died a virgin and that she never had any other children other than Jesus. So why would the Catholic Church even want to do that? Why would the Catholic Church even want to teach people that, G, that Mary died a virgin why? What, what is their motive on that? They, what, why did they just make it up? I mean, they, they claim to have scripture. Why? 
This is a huge teaching, by the way. This is not just something that they believe. Kind of like, you know, I have some beliefs about the Bible. And this is not something that they just believe. This is something that they consider to be huge. This is something that they, they, they all fight for really hard. So why does the Catholic Church make such a huge deal out of Mary being a virgin unto her death? Well, the fruit of this belief, and I apologize if this offends anybody that's listening. It's not my intent. It's just the truth. The fruit of this belief is really ugly and unbiblical. And believe it or not, it's satanic. Yes, that's right. I believe it comes straight from the pit of hell. And you may be saying, why? Well, now you really offended me. Why? Why is it satanic? Now you're saying that my Catholic Church, they're coming right from the straight of hell. You, you see this. The Catholic Church not only teaches that Mary died a virgin, but they also teach that she was sinless. They also teach that she was without sin. That means that she was a perfect person like Jesus. That means that she didn't need a savior like the rest of humanity. This teaching is also right from the pit of hell. This teaching goes totally against Paul's Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God in Christ, of course, not included because they never sinned. And we can include in that the word all. All have sinned. That means all. All humanity. All people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And believe it or not, Mary is a human being. Mary is included in the all. Mary sinned and fell short of the glory of God. But it, the, the actual, the wickedness, the evil does not stop there. Since they teach Mary died a virgin and she was sinless, they also believe that she can save people from their sins like Jesus Christ can. The Catholic Church actually calls Mother Mary a co-redeemer, which means that they believe, as Jesus can save people, that people can actually go to Mary instead of Jesus, and they can get saved by going to Mother Mary, who was a sinless, who was a, who they think, a sinless, perfect person, and get saved that way too. And for that problem there, we have 1 Timothy 2-5. through Does that teaching go against the Bible? Absolutely. Listen to these biblical verses. 1 Timothy 2, through, uh, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. For there is one God, and listen, that means so there's one God, we understand that, and one mediator, one go-between, one that goes here and God goes to him, one mediator, and didn't say two or three or four or five, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The end. In John 14, 6, Jesus emphatically says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father except by me. Now, if, G if Mary was perfect and Mary was another way to heaven, then why didn't Jesus say, I am the way and the truth and the life and I've given it also to my mother because she's perfect as well too. And we are the only way to heaven. He didn't say that. He said that no one gets to heaven except by me. There's only one that grants mankind salvation, and that's Jesus Christ, the righteous, servant of God, and only Jesus Christ, and no one else. And yes, 
Not even Mary, not me, not you, not my church, not the Catholic church, not the, not the Baptist church. No one grants eternal life to people except for Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. Let me get a sip here and we're going to close it out. So we covered all these verses in this section of Scripture. And I know that today's message was very tedious. I hope it wasn't boring. It was a very factual. It was a lot of facts, a lot of details. And I thank you so much for listening so patiently because you all have been so patient. I, and I pray and hope that you guys online have been patient as well too. I hope you learned a lot of truth today about the Bible and about Mary that you will take with you and never forget even until the grave and beyond. Okay? As I, as I prayed this week what to speak about in this section of Scripture, I would have definitely not gone this way. I am a hard-hitting pastor. I believe that the only way anybody gets to heaven is not only just by a, a mental belief in Jesus Christ, but a heart belief in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is pretty plain here when he says, Who is my mother and my brothers, but only those that do the will of my Father in heaven. Those are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters. I would have gone a completely different way on this. I was going to hit everybody hard and talk about, are you really doing the will of God? And are you really, you know, following him? Is that what you're really doing? Because Jesus said, you're only those. And going to Matthew chapter 7 and the whole bit. But God led me in a different, absolute different way. He led me to talk about these truths about Mary and the false teaching of the Catholic Church about her, you know, what they teach about her. And the truth of this section and uh, this section of Scripture and other parallel sections. Please don't misunderstand me. Mary was a plain, ordinary woman. Just a plain, ordinary woman, just like me and you and everybody else. But I believe that she surrendered to God for His purpose of bringing the Messiah, the Savior Jesus Christ, into the world. She was a great woman of faith. She was a wonderful woman of God. A holy, in fact, the Bible says that all generations will call you blessed. And I absolutely believe that we should say the Blessed Mother Mary. She was a blessed woman of God. Absolutely. Nevertheless, she was still a flawed human being and a sinner just like us. And she needed a Savior just like you and just like me. Just like everybody on the face of the planet. If you took offense to this truth about Mary, I apologize. And again, I apologize not for, I apologize not for speaking the truth to you about Mary or about the truth about Mary according to the Bible, but I apologize for the fact that you took offense and that you were offended with that truth because it is still truth. But please don't be. It's the Bible. Okay, I'm just reading the Bible to you. I just believe in the Bible. If you'd like to speak with me about this and talk more about it, you can go to gospelsavingchurch.com and go to contact me, and you'll get right to me. Uh, Pastor Ed Spagnoli, you'll get right to me. You can, uh, you can um, email me through there to contact me. My phone number is also listed on gospelsavingchurch.com. My phone number is right on there. It's 214-385-8022. I would love to speak with you about it. I have no problems with that. You can contact me if you have any problems. But as I close, I want everybody to listen very carefully. Please listen very, very, very carefully carefully. We must make sure to be careful when we read God's Word. Before you read, please everybody listen to me very carefully. Before you read, 
or listen to God's word ever, you should always pray before you read or listen, God, please help me to understand what your word says today. Please help me to understand it. I, you know, because the Bible says that our fleshly man can't understand the ways and the things of God. It's only by the Spirit of God that revelation is given. And that Spirit of God, one Holy Spirit, gives that revelation. But the Bible says that we need to ask for wisdom. So before you read, before you listen, pray, God, please, Jesus, please, give me wisdom. Help me to understand this scripture that I'm about to listen to. And please read God's word in context. Keep the same idea all the way through. We don't, God doesn't flip-flop from one verse to the next. One whole section will have the same idea. And chances are, well, 99% of the time, one section of scripture, you'll be able to find it somewhere else in the Bible. So you can go somewhere else and you can find a parallel passage to that scripture. And you go get more clarification on that scripture. And take the Bible for what the Bible says, and don't do anything to it, don't add anything to it, and don't take anything away from whatever you read or listen to, because that's dangerous. That's dangerous. No one, I believe, biblical truth, has the right to change God's perfect word to Bible. Nobody has the right, not even my church, not me, not you, not even the Catholic Church. Nobody has that right to change God's Word. Read the Bible for what the Bible says and whatever it tells you about God and Christ, then you believe that. Don't even believe me. You go to the Word and you read the Word for yourself. And you read what the Bible has to say to you and you believe that. Okay? And if what I say lines up with that, then you got to believe me too. That's the only deal. If anyone that's listening belongs to the Catholic Church, I ask you to consider what you heard today. Mary, co-redeemer, perfect, sinless, dying a virgin, and able to save people from their sins. There is absolutely no biblical proof of this at all in the 66 books, or even the, your Catholic Bible has seven more. They have the Apocrypha. There's not one set of biblical proof that you can find that actually supports that. When you go back to the Greek, to the Greek root words, there's absolutely no support for that, absolutely at all. Sadly, here is what the Catholic Church did to Mary. And I'm going to fill you in. This is something that God revealed to me at the end of this sermon, which I didn't even see this before. But this is what the Catholic Church has done to Mary. And I just got fresh revelation, and I'm just spreading it unto you. Look at Christ Jesus. He was never married, which means he never had sex with a woman, he never had intercourse with a woman, he never knew a woman. And so when he died, he died a virgin. Okay, number one. What happens next? He, wasn't, he didn't ever sin. He was Christ. He was the God-man. He didn't ever sin. He was the sinless God-man. So he could pay for the sins of you and me in the world by his death and atoning death on the cross. Which, by the way, Mary didn't do. Mary didn't go to the cross. So there's no way she could be a co-redeemer because she didn't go to the cross and die for your sins like Jesus Christ did. And number three... I lost myself here. Hold on a second. So he was perfect, never had sex. He was a virgin, so he could die and take the sins of the world, so he could redeem mankind. The Catholic Church, and there's all kinds of biblical proof, by the way, for all this happening. So here's what the Catholic Church did. They made the mother of Jesus Christ to be equal to Christ the Savior. They made her a God. In the likeness of Jesus Christ, they made her 
a God. And what they did there, they made a false gospel. And they made someone, they built up someone that didn't do the things that they say she did to be someone that she wasn't. So they made a false God. So your church, if you're a Catholic and you're listening to this, made a false God in Mary. They built her up with no biblical proof to be a false God. And you're worshiping a false gospel. The Catholic Church doesn't teach the truth about salvation. Period. The end. They believe that you can pray to the saints. They believe that you can pray to Mary. And that again, as I said earlier, they believe that even Mary can save you. That's absolutely unbiblical. And as you believe these lies, these are lies. These are a false gospel. The Catholic Church as a whole is leading people to hell. Okay? You can't believe these things. You can't go against the Bible and just say, well, Mary was perfect too, when the Bible says that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. There's one. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. There's only one Savior. Jesus didn't reference any other Savior. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knelt down and he prayed, and he said, Father, if there be any other way, He's talking about him going to the cross, him dying and going to the cross. He said, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. If Mary would have been able to save people, he wouldn't have had to pray for another way. And, God, and he said, but nevertheless, not my will, let your will be done. And then God said, nope, that's my will, you're going to the cross. Jesus is the only Savior of mankind. Nobody else can save you, not even Mary Again, that's a false gospel. So ask yourself right now, if you believe in the Catholic faith, if you're a Catholic, if you have Catholic family members, ask them, do you really want to go to a church where they teach a false gospel? Do you really want to go to a church where they teach you that Mary is a God like Jesus? Even though they don't come right out and say it, that's what they believe. They made her in his image. They built her up to be that way. And false teachings, and they teach false teachings about Mary. And that's just the beginning. There's out there, if you go on YouTube, there's all kinds of things that the Catholic Church teaches that are anti-biblical. Do you really want to be associated with a church that's taking you to hell? I don't want you to. And that's why God laid this on my heart to teach this today. I love you. And I'm going to tell you the truth, whether you get offended with me, whether you think I'm wrong, go to your Bible, and you'll find, and you'll see the things that I said. Go back. Listen to the teaching. It's all right there. God's Word is all right there. And I even believe for the first time on this one here, I'm actually going to put my sermon notes on the website. I'm going to make a special page. It's just came to my heart. I'm going to make a special page. And I want to put my sermon notes underneath the sermon. Just I'll be regular text. And you can go through as I speak. And you can read the sermon notes. And you can go back and check the same things that I just read for you here. And I just started out for you because I know I spoke kind of fast. You go back through there and you can look at everything I said. But please, seek truth for yourself. So what is salvation? If anybody's a Catholic or believes in Catholicism or has Catholic family members, God put it on my heart to tell you what real salvation is because you won't hear what real salvation is in your church or your relatives that are Catholics. They're not, they have no idea what real salvation is. In a nutshell, we are all sinners. The Bible says that Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
It means we're all sinners. We're all wicked and we're all evil. And the Bible says that God is the, Christ is the only one that can save us. So we've all sinned. We've all broken God's laws. We've all lied. We've all cheated. We've all done evil things against God. We've all done those things. We're all liars. We're all thieves. We're all blasphemers. We're all evil. Okay? If anybody wants to challenge me on that, I'll ask you, have you ever lied? Of course you have. Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever used God's name in vain? And absolutely, I don't care if it was even once. You've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, even if it's just one time on any one of those. And there was 10 and there was 623 whole laws that had to be followed in order to be perfect before God, which Christ is the only one that followed them all. So what is salvation? Christ sitting in heaven loved you, saw you down here wallowing in your sinfulness, wallowing in your apostate state away from God and said, I love them. I want to save mankind from their sins. He left the throne room of God. He came into this world, wrapped himself in human flesh. He lived a perfect life, 33 years. He never sinned once. And he died. He was crucified on a cross. They buried him. They thought, we got him because the people that killed him, they hated him. The religious leaders, they hated him. So he died and they put him in the ground. They put him in a, in a tomb, hewn into a wall. And he died and he was dead for three days. And on the third day, he rose again, defeating death, conquering sin, so that he says, all who believe in him, and the word believe there is not just a simple head belief, all who put their trust totally in him, should not be put to shame. All those who decide to surrender to what He did for you by paying for your sins, and you make a decision, I, don't, I, don't, I, I realize that I'm wrong and I'm a sinner and I'm evil and I'm wicked, and you're right, and God is the only one that's perfect, and Christ is the only one that can save me. You go to Him and you surrender unto Him and you give yourself to Him and you put all your faith and all your trust in Him, and you decide to follow Him. That's salvation. That is salvation. Because He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. We have to go through Jesus Christ in order to get to heaven. We can't make it through Jesus. We can't make it to heaven by ourselves or by our own good works or through Mary, or through any of the disciples, or through this church, or through the Catholic church, or through anything. The Bible says, Jesus, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. The Bible says that it's God's grace. It's by grace you are saved, through faith, and that not of works. There's nothing good you can do. There's no good work that you can do in order to merit God's salvation. It's by God's grace, His free gift that He's given to all mankind, God's grace, by grace you are saved through faith. you putting your total faith in God and in Christ Jesus and surrendering unto Him. It's by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Salvation is nothing you or I can even do. God is the only Savior. Not you, not me, not this church, not the Catholic church, and not Mary. Surrender to Him today. Turn to Him Pray, seek His face. Surrender your life to Him today. Put all your faith and all your trust in Him and in nobody and nothing else. And I encourage you, if you are a Catholic, please read your Bible and listen to what God has to say to you. 
please learn truth. Don't just go blindly along in a religion that you were raised in. Well, that was the religion I was raised in, so then therefore that just must be right. Well, people I was raised, I was an atheist as I was growing up. I wasn't raised that way, but that was just the way I went. So I believed that there was no God. And I was raised that way my whole life. Was I right? Absolutely not. All creation testifies of the truth of salvation. I was wrong. Just because you were raised in a certain religion doesn't mean you're right. Please seek truth for yourself. Please, I beg of you. Start reading the Bible and reading about what Christ and God did for you. Surrender to Him today. God paid a high price for you on that cross. He died and took all the sins of the world upon Himself. And He paid a high price to get you and to win you to Himself and to save you. So cry out to Him, please, and seek His face and surrender your life to Christ and, and apologize for all the ways in which you realize I'm a wicked sinner. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for this message. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your truth. Thank you so much for the Bible and that, Lord, we have the ability to go back and look at all the things, Lord God, that are written down. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we just thank you for the truth that we can seek out, Lord God. And not only in the Word. Lord, you just reminded me of this again, Lord God. We don't have to only look to just specific words to find out brothers and sisters and all that stuff. We actually can look at the context of this whole section of Scripture and find out it was that the idea of the context? Was that the idea of the passage? And a whole passage has to, has to then tell us the truth, Lord God, not just one word. I pray, dear God, for all of us that we would read our Bibles and that we would learn about you and that we would learn about Christ Jesus and his salvation for us. And I pray, dear God, that we would just be seekers of truth. And as we seek the truth, you reveal it to us, Lord Jesus. That's what you said you would do. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Ask and you shall receive. And Jesus, you, you said that so that we would know how to approach you. Ask, seek, and knock. Lord, I pray that, that those listeners out there, wherever they're listening from, would listen intently. I want them to be saved, Lord God. And I pray, dear God, that whoever's listening to this message would listen to the truth, heed the truth, check out the truth for themselves, and then turn to Christ with all their hearts and surrender to you. Save all those, dear God, that are listening. Save all of those that are listening, Lord God. And I ask these things and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We would like to thank everyone who has joined us today to listen to Pastor Ed Spagnoli bring us more biblical truth as he preaches verse by verse through the Bible. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged to respond to the word of the Lord today as one life will soon be passed, and only what is done for Jesus Christ will last. If you would like to support this ministry, or contact us for prayer, or for any reason at all, please visit gospelsavingchurch.com and enjoy our beautiful new website and click on the appropriate links. God bless you.